Hello and welcome back to another episode of That's What People Do. And I'm going to start with an apology. Shall we start with an apology, Ryan? That's that probably a good idea. I don't know how long it's been. What, six months? A year? <laughs> yeah, been a while. The only time we've had a gap, I think, maybe as big as this, was when the pandemic actually hit and we didn't quite know what to do. Yeah, and even then we tried to churn out small little um, mini-sodes. Yeah. Yeah, so we do apologise. Um, life has been extraordinarily busy. Uh, I've been doing my masters. I've had a lot of hand-ins, which are all done now, thankfully, and some placements with radio stations. And Ryan has recently had a promotion at his job, so he's been very busy um, learning the ropes and travelling an hour from his home every day. Mm, so yeah. we have valid excuses, I think. <laughs> That's up to but the listeners. Back. That's up to the listeners. If this gets no listens, we'll know. Yeah, everyone's forgotten who we are. Turn notifications <laughs> off and followed us on all the social media. Yeah. But yeah, so um, before we get into today's episode, I think we should have this conversation now as opposed to the end, because I think it might be a bit insensitive at the end. It's the Queen's Jubilee. Oh, uh, we're going to go there Jubilee. already. Yeah, if I do it at the end, it feels a bit insensitive based on what this episode is about. So um, what what I, I, dared, I don't think I need to ask your opinions on the Queen's Jubilee, Ryan. I think... And well, I think the listeners, if they follow us, are pretty aware of what you're about to say. We actually have a lot of American listeners as well. And I'm very aware that a lot of Americans tend to enjoy our royal family. Um, but I will remind you lot that you argued like fuck to stop having a king. And there's a reason why you have presidents now. And you can't start going back now and saying, oh, we like Carrie and Meghan. <laughs> you can't start doing that. Um, I think there's something written into the Constitution that um, Meghan can never be President of America because she's now related to royalty and like English royalty can't be involved in the uh, the politics of America. Is that so? Because I saw a fantastic meme when Harry and Meghan got married and it was saying how like uh, Harry's uh, son would be a legitimate American citizen and then could become a president. And if he became president, that's like a long game of the royal family getting America back. <laughs> this is all planned <laughs> it's great um now i saw a post today actually um so and it was like uh me on a day-to-day -day and it's like abolish the monarchy and it's like the last two days whilst the jubilee uh celebrations have been going on it's that image of boris johnson hanging from a zip line with his union jacks in his hand mm. and i was like that's very much been me over the last two days i will be honest i have been watching it and i do quite enjoy the pomp and I know I have slated the monarchy many, many times before. And I do still um, believe that we ought to abolish the damn thing. I think once the Queen pops her clogs, which, uh, if going by the way it is at the moment, it won't be very long. Um, when that happens, I think we should just, from that point, just become a, a republic and just be like, listen, no more, please. Because you've got to close the door at some point, ain't you? You know? Like, take the Champions League the other day with all them bloody people coming in late. You know, you've got to close the gate at some point. I've got a legitimate ticket. Doesn't matter, I've got to close the gate at some point. I can't have you all walking in with your fake tickets. Mm. I think when the Queen goes, let's just scrap it all, get done with it. But maybe keep the pomp every now and then. Just chuck out once a year. Just have, you know, the carriages go around and be like, oh, look at all the fucking history we've got going on. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. No, I, I, I completely agree. Um, I think you should open up all the palaces and stuff as museums, and you can keep all the pomp and ceremony. Like You still have like the beef eaters and stuff, because they're cool, they're history. Yeah. But you don't need the actual institution itself. And I know people are going to say, but we do let tours of Buckingham Palace. I know, but you could literally open up the entire thing. You could turn it into a fucking Weatherspoons if you want. Oh, I don't care. Be the best Weatherspoons, and it have the most it would toilets. Be but then I saw something the other day, actually, saying that the, the main argument for keeping the, the monarchy is tourism. That's the one that everyone will always bring up. But then I think I saw that France has the biggest tourist economy of anywhere in the world. And we all know what they did to their royals. So, oh, yeah. I, didn't, I mean, I think it's a pointless argument. It is a pointless argument because the Palace of Versailles, of course, is, I think, immensely popular with tourists. And yet there is no monarch living in it. And... The majority of tourists that come to the UK always go to London and always stand outside Buckingham Palace. And if you don't know the rules, the rules are this. If there is a Union flag hanging from the top of Buckingham Palace, she is not there. She will be at Windsor or somewhere else. The only time 
you will know if the Queen is at Buckingham Palace is if the Royal Standard is flying on top of the palace, which is very, very rarely because she lives at Windsor now. So people are coming to London. You're not going to get a glimpse of the Queen, even if you went to Windsor, which is where she lives predominantly now. You're never going to see her. I went to Windsor Castle a couple of years ago and the, the Royal Standard was flying, billowing in the wind. I know the Queen's in there. Do you think I got a chance to see her? No. I didn't get a chance to see her as she's got her slippers on going to make a cup of tea in between, I don't know, Antiques Roadshow. I didn't get the opportunity to do that. And you as a tourist are also not going to get a chance to do that. So I do think tourism is a bit of a, a, a silly argument for keeping the royals. Here, here. So on that note, happy Platinum Jubilee, Queen. Happy. We love you. Listen, 70 years and you go, that's impressive. And you're like, is it with modern medicine? Mm. And she gets the best as well. I mean, but yeah. through it all, her son is a sex offender. So what can we do? <laughs> Allegedly. Nah, fuck it. We go back to listen to the Epstein episode. Mm. Well, he like, got COVID this week. At utter bollocks. Yeah, at utter bollocks. Yeah, you know he just doesn't want to be. He just doesn't want to be papped. Massively, you know that was an excuse. Oh, he's conveniently got COVID a couple of days before he's supposed to be at this event. No, he hasn't. Mm. No, he hasn't. He just doesn't want to show up. Yeah. I wouldn't have even announced, like, yeah, COVID, just don't show up, just don't go. Also, I don't need the head of a religious church telling us, oh, but he's trying to make amends and maybe we should forgive him. Fuck off. Don't need you, (laughs) Justin Welby, telling me what to do. If anyone doesn't know, is he the Archbishop of Canterbury? I think so. Is Is he? Yeah, yeah, he is. I'm sure it's Canterbury. Listen, I I don't, let's not, let's not, let's not get into that. Don't need him saying that. No, we don't. So on that note, let's get into a very cheery episode. Yeah, what a fantastic um, seven-minute start that was. It was. I don't know why, whenever I do intros, I'm always like, I'm going to keep the name of who the episode's about as a surprise, even though you've literally clicked on the title, haven't you? You know who this episode's about. I've I've done exactly the same thing. Where I'm very aware my intros have become more elaborate as I've gone on. And then it's like... So this week we're talking about, and it's like, yeah, we all know, we know. It's like, you know, when you watch like stars in their eyes or something like tonight, Matthew, I'm going to be, yes, I watched, I read the TV guide earlier today. (laughs) I I know who you're going to play. Yeah. But I still like the pomp and ceremony of it. If you throw back to earlier. Um, So uh, this was a toss up this episode of who I was going to do. And I'm going to mention who I was going to do because I will do them in future. Um, so today's on Pol Pot, obviously, not to be confused with Paul Potts, the opera singer of Winton of Britain's Got Talent. <laughs> very different men with very different ideas. Ah, that's great. <laughs> but uh, I was going to do a man called Hans Asperger, which probably rings a bell for some. He was, some would say, not, not the founder, but he was like the main guy who who studied Asperger's syndrome and therefore his name was stuck to it. Oh. However, I, I, I have realised that um, lately... I have promised to not do Nazi episodes, and he is a Nazi, oh, so sake. yeah. So I, I've decided to not do that one. We'll come to that later. But the but you can you can probably understand some pretty fucked up shit went on. But we'll we'll, we'll that's in a future episode. Look forward to that one when I get back around to the Nazis, which probably won't be long. Mate, they're just so interesting. So I live with I live with a German. I, I think I've mentioned this before, and I, I find myself often having to apologise to her that the only Germans I seem to cover are, are Nazis. But then I said, I think I said it earlier, actually, like, it's not my fault the Nazis are interesting. Yeah, they are. Like, uh, uh, do you know what it is? I think, I think what fascinates people, and, and it's the same reason why they like true crime, it's, it's there's someone out there that has done the thing you know you can't do. Mm. And I, that, I think that's what it is. It's like why op- Operation Paperclip was such a thing mm-hmm. after the war. The Americans are being mm. like, listen... You guys know shit that we could never, ever, ever get away with trying to learn. So it, that's it's it's more valuable than gold. That information. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it's we're very interested in in the parts of society that we're told and we should know are wrong, and we're not justifying the Nazis is wrong. And we've spoken about Nazis again. How does this always happen? Anyway, Pol Pot. Where's my notes? There they are. So let's. Uh, so we're going to get one thing out of the way very early on. Um, this episode, I wrote, right, I wrote this intro before. This episode is quite graphic in a way. I don't really go into many brutal details like Ryan would, oh. but <laughs> no, it, it's kind of just a, it's kind of just an overview. If you are interested in the brutal details, Google your friend. 
So um, I'll try and give little disclaimers throughout. I'll probably forget because I haven't written them in. But so just an overall one. Um, but bear in mind that Paul Part is responsible for one of the largest genocides the world has ever seen, and millions of people were tortured. Um, yeah, so th there's going to be some deaths of children and infants and stuff as we go. So if that's something you don't want to listen to, um, fair enough. See you next time. I won't say next week because it probably won't be, but see you next time where it will be someone maybe better. I don't know, it's Ryan's turn. It'll probably be someone significantly worse. <laughs> yeah, probably. But anyway, let's crack on with Paul Pot. So his original name is Saloth Sar, and for until he becomes Paul Pot from now, I'm going to refer to him as Sar. So just so you, so you know, I'm not speaking about some random dude. Yeah. He was born on May 19th, 1925. Again, there's a lot of uh, pronunciations in here. I'm going to get wrong, so apologize. He was born in Kompong Tom in Cambodia. He was the son of a landowning farmer. Pretty much a peasant family, but sort of a well-off peasant family uh, because they owned their own land. Mm. He would tend to rice fields and then play in the rivers in the evenings. A fairly normal upbringing for the time and place. And his brother stated he was a hardworking, pretty nice kid. So nothing out of the ordinary just yet. At the age of six, he was sent off to live with his brother, where he was educated on French values. And obviously, being taught French um, French history, he was taught all about revolutions. And he was also just a really shit student, and he failed entrance exams for high school. So instead, he went off to study carpentry, which is no disrespect to carpenters. I know you study hard for what you do. <laughs> yeah, like, no, yeah, that is no, no disrespect. But James, when you were at secondary school, did, like... Did the kids that were not necessarily that academically gifted end up going off to do like bricklaying and other labouring? I think I think that is the best way of putting it. They're not academically gifted, but they're sort of like phys physically gifted, I guess. Yeah, like, um, there's this. They're better with their hands. But then, like, there's this Goldilocks zone of just idiocy. So, like, if you're in the top set of like your academics, so like, if you're really good at English, you'll be in the top set. You'll get on fine. If you're really bad at it, you'll get made off to do, I don't know, like hairdressing or labouring, bricklaying. I say hairdressing specifically, my sister went on to do that because um, she's not academically gifted. And then there's me. I sort of flitted between the middle. I wasn't quite smart enough to be in the top set and I wasn't very bad at the things to be put in the other way. So I was kind of just in the middle, just being like, yeah, how are you getting on? Um, I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> And it just like sort of left to your own devices. Yeah, I was, I was one of those kids that everyone like the teachers sort of hated, and my parents sort of gave up because the the potential was there. Um, and I think it's because from a very young age I was always outperforming like other people in terms of in terms of uh, reading, writing, classes, and stuff, maths. And up until, like, year three, I don't know what that is in American money, but, like, no, up until, like, year six, I was, like, fucking sick. And then I went to secondary school, so I was, like, 11, 12, and I realised that, like, I didn't have to try, but then I stopped trying to the point where everyone overtook me. Yeah. And I think that's a real problem. But, like, I wasn't... In English, I was, like, top. Maths, I was sort of, I don't know, flitting. Um, I, I'm good at stuff I'm interested in. If I'm not interested, I'll, I'll mentally switch so off. So the uh, constant bit of feedback my mum was given uh whenever I used to go to parents evening was Ryan's a very clever boy he's just unable to get what's in his head onto paper uh, yeah, I've heard that which before. nowadays you would probably guess maybe that child is dyslexic somewhat <laughs> but mm. no my school never thought maybe there's something wrong with this child he's not able to express how he thinks mm. yeah we've come on a long way wonder why we? I went off uh, to do bloody drama yeah, same. Fuck, you know, what a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm doing a master's just to try and make up for it. <laughs> oh, it's all gone wrong. Anyway, so Cambodia at the time was a monarchy, but not really. The French had colonised it and were in power. However, there was sort of like a, I don't know, a puppet monarch, I guess, sort of just the face of the country, but they didn't have a fucking say in anything. Mm. Um. But during this time in Vietnam, the neighbour of Cambodia, the French were in a struggle to retain their foothold in the country. There were murmurs all throughout Indochina that the need to escape the rule of European colonists was something that would benefit them greatly. Communism sort of began to take hold, with small groups of revolutionaries fighting back and Vietnamese forces training the Cambodians. 
Saar would spend his time traveling Cambodia, in particular to Angkor Wat, a famous site in Cambodia that signifies the independent nation. This was the beginnings of a man who would do anything for his country. Huh. So, despite being shit academically, as me and Ryan apparently were, um, are we going to rise up and commit genocide? Who knows? <laughs> he managed to secure an engineering scholarship in Paris. During his time in the French capital, he came into contact with other Cambodians who began meeting up to discuss ways uh, to reclaim their country from the French. Some of the group were advocates for peace. They wanted to claim it via democratic means, elections and so forth. However, another part of the group, they were pretty vicious and decided the country should be seized by force. And guess which one our man Saloth Sar fell into? <laughs> yes, the aggressive one. Yeah, and all of these people were communists. God damn. So this is all taking place around 1949, by the way. So the war was over. Um, everyone had sort of gone back to their own countries. Communism was rampant in Russia, China, and was bleeding into other parts of Asia which I think we all know we're going to get onto the USA conflict in Vietnam a little bit later. Yeah. We kind of, um, when we did the episode on like Olga of Kiev, uh, and we, I was saying how in, in, in doing research for that episode, I started to learn more about that region that I'd never been taught about before uh, and how fascinating it was. Um, and I think for us in the West, we think 1945, the war ended, and then the Cold War started, and that was it. And it's so Western-focused, isn't it? And yet, what was left was just a, a world in civil war. Like the amount of nations after the first, uh, after the Second World War, who's like, you know, like we talked with about India. India and Pakistan didn't exist before, and now all of a sudden they do, and they hate each other, and there's war. Uh, you go over far further east, and you think in Southeast Asia, like with Cambodia and whatnot, and you think there's civil wars going on, and yet we just don't even think about it at all in the West. No, because we sort of had our victory and which went back yeah, to life. Yeah, we all had VJ Day, VE Day, and we a couple of sailors kissed a couple of gals, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, the Second World War probably didn't end in 1945 it, the effects of it carried on for a very long mm. time um something quite funny he attempted to read the writing of Karl marx uh, go and check out our episode oh, yeah. on the father of communism himself um but he couldn't get into it because it was too difficult for him to understand <laughs> so instead he became very interested in the teachers of uh, joseph stalin the man the myth the legend from russia yeah yeah well he was a bit of an idiot farm Who, boy anyway we We'll probably do an episode on Stalin at some point. He's too big not to, but he uh, also committed genocide of his own people during the war, but I'm not sure it can be genocide. But I think, off the top of my head, Russians killed two million of their own people. Something like that. I think it's between, like, two and five or something like that. Yeah, it, it was a lot just for deserting. Mad. But it was the attitude that won them the war, I Her guess. In fact, I'm going to go on a little aside here, because I like to. Um, Living with a German housemate has been fascinating. She's told me lots of stories of, like, her grandparents. Her... Um, I want to say great grandfather or grandfather. I can't. I can't remember which. Um, was captured by the Russians, obviously, as he was a German soldier, yeah. and he was sent to a gulag. And like, from what it sounds like, the Russians weren't that bad. Like, they tried to force the prisoners to drink vodka, but then her grandfather or whatever um said, "I'm a recovering alcoholic," and they were like, "Oh, that's fine," and they just left him. Yeah. But which is obviously the gulags are a bad place, but. I thought that was quite fascinating. They sort of showed a bit of humanity there. We don't really learn that about the Russians, do no, we? No, no, that's one thing we're not taught about Russians. <laughs> um, Even now, the, we, we think the Russians are... Hardy people. I mean, they are. They're a fucking problem, but... <laughs> they're hardy people. Um, they are. They, they're very stubborn people. Yeah, maybe people. Uh, your housemate's great-grandfather got just lucky. Maybe. Maybe. But then, speaking to... Uh, I've been to, for my uh, course. I've been speaking to a lot of people in Ukraine and fleeing Ukraine. M majority of them, which is quite sad, have family in Russia because it, the countries are basically the same. And but the people in Russia, their families refuse to believe them when they tell them what's going on. They'll rather believe their state media over their families telling them everything mm. that's happening, which I think is crazy. And this keeps coming up time and time again. Yeah. So I think uh, the Russian people are very much under some sort of false illusion of what the invasion of Ukraine is. Yeah, no, it's 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 not ideal. Yeah, no, it's very fucking bad. Anyway, back onto Pol Pot. 
In 15, fucking hell, we've gone back in time. In 1953, he returned to his home in Cambodia, a fully-fledged communist that would stop at nothing to create a revolution in his country. He travelled north and met up with Vietnamese communists. He wasn't a big shot right away. In fact, he was quite the opposite. He didn't really do much as the Vietnamese wouldn't let him. Instead, he did the busy work. He tended the vegetable patches and occasionally worked in the kitchen. And this is sort of like one thing I found when we do episodes on horrendous dictators. A lot of them came from nothing. So like if we look at Hitler, he came from nothing. Stalin comes from nothing. And also if you look at the rule in North Korea of like Kim Jong-un and that family, they came yeah. from nothing. Yeah. Uh, I, it, it's fascinating that like this rags to well, riches I, story. I think it must come from this immense desire to be better. To drag mm. themselves out from the gutter from which they came uh, and be something more yeah, I do find that it's always people that can affect change. Like, you look at the French Revolution, it was the Peasants' Revolt that did it. Obviously, Napoleon found himself technically on the throne at the end of it, but without the people, he would have been nothing. Yeah, no, massively. Yeah, and yeah, it, it, uh, Napoleon is also another one that you can argue came from nothing, just some small little island where he had a funny accent. Yeah, Joan of Arc, the same. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. I think it shows the power of people, sometimes good, sometimes horrific, but... You can you can achieve whatever you set your mind to. Just don't make it genocide. Yeah, try not to. <laughs> try the keyword. Anyway, 1953 saw the French pull out of Vietnam and Cambodia. The country then was divided. The North was communist ruled and the South uh, under the rule of the monarchy. And despite many protestations, a peace pact was formed and the country was happy to stay divided. Saar met Nguyen Cher around this time, who would become his right-hand man. However, things in 1955 took a bit of a turn. The king renounced his throne, knowing there was an uprising on the way, and instead formed his own political party called the Sankum, and he stood for election, because after all, if you get elected, then that's the people telling you that they want you in power. You're not some sort of unelected monarch. Yeah. Hint, hint. Hint, hint. <laughs> the king Sihanouk, probably pronounced that really bad, or ex-king, should I now say, won the election, and he wasn't the king anymore. He became the first prime minister of Cambodia. However, this election wasn't really that democratic because, in fact, Sihanouk threw all of his political rivals in prison and didn't allow them to campaign. This naturally really pissed off Salah Tsar, and he realised he would not be able to gain control of the country via political means. So instead, it must be done with force. Do you know what? The Communist Party was... Sorry to interrupt, sorry. Um, I was about to praise the king and say, do you know what? Much respect to him for abdicating and being like, no, nah, no, nah, we're going to do this dic- uh, like a democracy. <laughs> and and then you were like, yeah, he just put all these political prisoners and uh, political enemies in prison. I was like, ah, oh, okay. Yeah, so it's a right idea, just wrong execution. Yeah, yeah he did. I mean, he knew how to win, didn't he? And, and when he did. Yeah. So... The Communist Party at this time was outlawed in the country and were branded with a new name, the Khmer Rouge. Despite people in Saar's circle uh, being taken away and killed, they would just be dragged off. And everyone else was terrified of this happening to them. So Saar took leadership of the Khmer Rouge and was subsequently followed all the time by police. In 1963, he decided to go all guerrilla, as they like to do in Vietnam and Cambodia, and flee to the jungles of the north. Here he met more Vietnamese communists who were pretty distracted with the current war going on in the USA. Now, sorry American listeners, I'm about to shit on you for the 900th time in this (laughs) podcast's life. Um, What happened next is a very classic case of the USA thinking they're doing something right, but actually doing something horrifically wrong. Knowing that the Vietnamese had bases in North Cambodia, they bombed the fuck out of it. And this in turn killed hundreds of thousands of Cambodians. A large portion of them were innocent. This turned more and more Cambodians over to the Khmer Rouge because they were fucking pissed that their land was decimated and their loved ones were being killed. The, the, The Vietnam War for America was an absolute nightmare. They shouldn't have... I think we're all pretty obvious now that it shouldn't have happened. It was pointless. The thing is, I, I, I do understand the rationale to a degree. You know, It was to fight communism. They wanted to stop communism. Yeah, so, yeah and, that, and that, that's the part that I understand, right? So as far as, you know, communist Russia was concerned, uh, the more democratic countries there were that outweighed us, then our way of life is not, you know, doesn't work and blah, blah, blah. And the same was to the Americans. The more communist nations that they can create outnumbers us and shows that well, the way we live 
it's not the right way and it was just a, a war of uh, lifestyle um an ideology so i understand the rationale where they're like well we need to get into vietnam first to establish a democratic capitalist country before the communists do um i understand the rationale the execution is poor uh, and I think therein yeah. lies the problem. And America thinking, especially off the back of World War Two, like there is no one, well, other than Russia, of course, who can just say no to them. And they're like, "Well, you got you got communists in Cambodia." And you're like, "Yeah, okay, but it's a different country." No, 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 no. I'm gonna bomb the shit out of Cambodia and get them. No, you can't do that, mm. America. I have a nuclear bomb and I've used it once. I will use it again. And they're like, "Okay." Mm-hmm. And bear in mind as well. Uh, General Douglas MacArthur, during the, I believe, the Korean War, genuinely proposed to the President of the United States to tactically nuke China uh, so that they could uh, uh, beat the North in in Korea. Like, that was a legitimate Mm. uh, military plan he had. He was like, well, we've used nukes in Japan and that works, so why don't we use loads of little nukes? And we'll just bomb the shit out of China. And it's like, oh my God, stop trying to bomb everything. That's a very American response, isn't it? Bombs, man. They love them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're not much better, though, let's be honest. We're fucking awful, I don't know. Maybe we're like, you know, we're more gentlemanly about it, maybe. I don't know. It's probably, I think it must be more <laughs> hidden from us because I'm not aware. I know we, do, we, we tend to just sell bombs to people. Who bomb others? Yeah, 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 yeah. Saudi Arabia. How's Newcastle getting on? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wrong, but that's another... God, that's another Mm. story. Anyway, Pol Pot. So after all this bombing had taken place and hundreds of thousands of people have died, um, he adopted the name Pol Pot. Don't know why, just sounded better. That's a really random name. Yeah. Uh, Spelt P-O-L-P-O-T. I suppose it's... Oh, wait, no, apparently it stands for, like, political something. Uh, Yeah, oh, Christ. Oh, James, you need to keep talking whilst I quickly Google this. Okay, I'll carry on. He was the unquestioned leader and had guerrilla camps of his own. Initiation into the party was a bit fucking weird because to prove loyalty, new members would be locked in a cell until they had proven their unwavering support to the party. They'd just be trapped there. At that point, that's a bit of a red flag for me. Um, yeah, have, have, have you I've got it? it. So apparently it is short for the French word politique potentielle or something like that, potentielle. Uh, and in English, it means uh, potential politics, so uh, political potential. Fair. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. I mean, it's very it's on the nose, it. isn't it? It's just like, well, my mm. new name is going to be my new job uh, ideology. <laughs> so, a military uprising took place in the country, and Sihanouk was kicked out of office. He fled to the north, where he met up with Pol Pot, and the once enemies became allies. With this new support, Pol Pot's followers grew. The army grew and grew, and they controlled nearly two-thirds of Cambodia. In 1974, Pol and his army marched on the capital and seized control. So now we're at April 17th, 1975, the day life in Cambodia would change forever. And 1975 wasn't that long ago. My parents were fucking born at this point. Yeah, my mum was nine. Yeah, it's mad, isn't it, that what I'm about to say happened in very recent history. Yeah. So, my guy's got control, so surely he's happy now. No. This is when everything takes a turn for the worse. So if you are a bit squeamish, here and out is when it gets a bit dicey, but I don't really go into details. Um, The people at first were very happy with the new leadership in Cambodia. However, quickly realised that Pot's men were very bloodthirsty and would shoot any military men loyal to the old regime on sight. Pol Pot then ordered a mass evacuation of the capital, Phnom Penh, pronounced that wrong, and started the reason and stated the reason was due to an imminent American air raid. This was an absolute lie. Hospitals were emptied, many died on the streets, and in reality he simply wanted the people out of the city in order to rebuild in the way he wanted. He firmly believed that violence was the way to establish the society he had dreamed of. As the mass exodus of the city took place, the people passed through checkpoints. They would be segregated and put into separate districts for re-education. Proper communism took hold and everyone had to be equal. Anything that anyone owned that was slightly fancy was removed from them so that everyone was on equal footing as a peasant. Anyone who hid in the capital was taken out into the streets and shot. For some bizarre reason, communism to them meant rejecting modern technology. 
Pol Pot believed that everyone should work in the fields as peasants and all modern technology was destroyed. However, he believed that people who enjoyed the life that modern society offered, they were capitalists and, well, they were killed or they'd only be given half of the food that peasants were offered. That's such an extreme... So we're already off to a good start. such an extreme, like, level of doing things. That's like proper communism, isn't it? Like, everyone has to be equal. Yeah. No, listen, we all know communism doesn't work. Uh, No. On paper, it's the ideal society, but it never works. Yeah, it's sci-fi. So, something quite fucked. Only the state could decide who got married. Anyone suspected of falling in love outside of these arrangements were beaten to death in public. Why? No fun was... I don't know. It's crazy. No fun was allowed. No sport, no theatre, nothing. Wow. It's mad. Like, everything had to go through the state. You weren't allowed to smile. And in fact, I think in schools they were taught, like, having secret thoughts and feelings was really bad. That's ridiculous, honestly. Are you in love with this woman? (laughs) No, I don't know who she is. Ah, no, but (laughs) saying you have a boner. (laughs) Yeah, imagine that, like, falling in love with someone and being beaten to death because of it. Mad. That, I don't understand the rationale behind that at all. I don't think anyone can, but to Pol Pot, it made perfect was sense. Was Pol Pot married? He was, yeah. Damn it. She was also a big communist. Ah, oh, of course she was. Uh, yeah. Behind every great man is a great woman. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing that was allowed was field working. Pol realised rice was not being harvested at the quantity he wanted <laughs> and was weirdly surprised by this. Not considering that maybe forced labour of an entire country, no enjoyment, no love and genocide taking place might be to blame for the lack of morale, yeah. he became convinced the country had been infiltrated. But by what? Like, no. more thoughts? Oh, he's got a fucking screw loose. He's got an absolute screw yeah. loose. So he did the only logical thing in this situation and set up interrogation centres. Yeah, that'll do it. Anyone suspected of being an enemy of the state, of which there was absolutely no basis, were taken away with their families and tortured. But don't worry, there is good news. If a child was deemed too young to be tortured, they weren't. The bad news is they were taken off and immediately killed. What? Yeah. <sighs> yeah, just... it, it's mental. Sorry, I know it's maybe spoiler territory and you're going to get to it, but how long was this guy in charge for? Uh, everything I'm saying takes place in the span of three years. Uh, I suppose three years and it's an agricultural country. It's a big country, isn't it? Cambodia. Yeah, um, big. Yeah. So maybe a, that seems maybe a right timeline-wise. That's incredible. Mm. And also, like, like yeah. no forethought at all. He's like, oh, we're going to become an agrarian country that only fucking harvests rice. Okay, you're going to be a nation that just sells rice. Yep. Okay, next to all the other nations around here that makes rice, you're going to be the one that sells rice. Yep. He'd be kicked out of Dragon's Den immediately. (laughs) What's your USP? We make rice. So does everyone else. (laughs) It it makes no sense. It literally makes no sense. I don't know. I can't even begin to try and work out where the fuck he's coming from. What happens Um, if... But the thing is... Go on, carry on. A lot of the people that were tortured and killed um, were supporters of his. People would just go around accusing each other of being infiltrated. Oh, it's like fucking Salem all over again, isn't it? It's literally like a witch hunt. Ah, oh, so dumb. That's so dumb. And what are you going to do if you don't produce enough rice? I'm, I'm just going to kill those that make the rice. Right, okay. Fuck mm-hmm. me. <laughs> so, a pretty interesting statistic. 14,000 people were taken to these interrogation uh, centres. And if you were to survive your torture, you'd be taken to the killing fields and beaten to death. Out of these 14,000 people, there were seven survivors. What? Seven. No. Yeah. That's incredible. Seven people. Mm-hmm. How is there anyone left? Uh, well, we get onto this. This is really what fucks him in the end. Right. <laughs> so we're just going to talk about the killing fields for a little bit. Sure, yeah, um, yeah. Millions of people were killed during Pol Pot's regime, um, but they didn't believe in wasting bullets. So things like clubs, pickaxes, bamboo and knives were used to mercilessly kill people. People would often be taken to the killing fields and forced to dig their own graves. 
However, these people were so weak that barely any ground was uh, moved, and this resulted in a lot of shallow graves, uh, with the dead barely being covered. And if you go and visit today, which you can, you can still see human bones sticking out of the ground. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I remember um, Katie, uh, uh, we used to work with her, she um, told me once she went to Cambodia and saw the killing fields. Oh. I'd be interested in going. Yeah, no, massively, massively. That... Hmm... I, my immediate question now becomes, when we've when we've spoke about Nazi Germany before, um, mm-hmm. and you know I've watched we, we've all watched loads of documentaries about you know all this stuff, and you think oh how can one uh, partake in a lot of these things, but it a lot of it is like years and years and years of training people to not see other humans as humans to get them to that point. Like even the Einsatzgruppen hmm. uh, running around Europe, murdering entire villages for no bloody reason, ended up hmm. fucking taking time off because it was too much for them. So yeah. I, I, my question then is like, this guy was in charge for what three years or something, mm-hmm. not 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 long at all. How on earth has he managed to convince people to murder other human beings, other Cambodians like themselves? for fuck all reason like how how can they like i don't know maybe this is wrong and maybe i shouldn't say this but like when you see interviews of like older uh germans that maybe partook in a lot of these things and they go well, i'm sorry but like i thought these things 10 years of being a told from the age of 10 to like 20 like this is the thing or whatever blah 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 and you can almost kind of understand it to a degree i don't condone it but you can almost understand it but like this guy's mm. just come in and said that guy's in love with that woman and I didn't say he could be so I want you to beat the fuck out of him till he's dead and someone went yeah okay yep. I don't understand yep. how someone could have got on board and how some people were able to just do these things oh, it begs belief really doesn't it I think they were so dedicated to the cause of communism and because this had been like years in the making like decades in the making um, the Americans really did not help no, no, they no, no, they didn't, because they sort of washed their hands with it as well. Because d- d- don't they like a lot for the most part, like ignore the fact that they bombed the crap out of Cambodia? They're like, no, we didn't. Oh, America committed so many war crimes in in Asia. It's horrible. Yeah, the use of napalm was vile. That's crazy. I cannot believe that. Fourteen thousand people, seven. Mm-hmm. One thing I've, I find, though, like, the differentiation between, like, obviously when you think of genocide, you think of the Holocaust. I think the difference between this and the Holocaust is the Holocaust was almost, it, it was systematic, whereas this seems seemingly random. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's, even if you support them, you're not safe. Like, no one in this country was safe. No one. No. That's incredible. Yeah. Oh. Poor people. Hmm. So, the Vietnamese, after seeing off the attacks of the United States, turned their attention to Cambodia. With disputes over borders, tensions grew. Pot decided that officials on the border were colluding with the Vietnamese um, military and interrogated many. His own paranoia meant that hundreds of thousands of his own people, officials, their families and civilians were all executed. But it... This is where he really lets himself down because the bloke had just killed basically his entire border defence and left it open to invasion. Good. Which the Vietnamese did. They, they, he just, they must have been rubbing their hands, being like, this guy's doing all of our work for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, why bother doing anything? He's literally killing his own people. I don't have to do it. Hundreds of thousands of them. And, be like, and, and, and Christmas... luckily as well, they've left all this ammunition for us to use because they've just beaten the shit out of them all. Yeah, it, 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 honestly, there was no plan here whatsoever. Christmas Day 1978 saw Vietnamese forces move into Cambodia and it took only 13 days for them to claim the capital. Blimey. If only he didn't starve his people, massacre millions and including his own army, he might have actually stood a chance. But he just he fucked it for himself. <clears throat> However, he did manage to escape, but his rule was over, and everything I've just mentioned took place within the span of three years, where over two million people had been killed. Majority of which will have been without guns. They would have been beaten to death or starved or 
something along those lines. Mm. Um, he wasn't done, however. With the help of Chinese and Thai forces, he, att- he uh, attempted to re-establish his army in the jungle. And this took place slowly over the next 20 years. And he spent his final years giving interviews to reporters where he attempted to explain his actions. But to be honest, it's just fucking mental. Um, he retired in the mid-80s and moved to China and from there went to Thailand for cancer treatment. But he soon returned to Cambodia where Khmer Rouge forces, uh, guerrilla forces were still trying to gain control. In 1996, so I was born at this point, you were born at this point, the Khmer Rouge was starting to fall apart, and with many senior officials engaging in peace talks, Pot had a stroke which rendered the left-hand side of his body completely useless. However, he still found a way to sentence his right-hand man to death after it became clear that he was involved in these peace talks. Uh, the guy was merciless. Yeah. He, like, executed his best friend. I, uh, I, yeah, yeah. And the one thing that strikes me is the fact that he clearly, like, there's a little bit more, but, like, he clearly got away with it on the whole. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, he, I use the term he retired because that's exactly what he did. He retired from politics and just moved to China. Imagine that at the end of World War Two, Hitler being like, oh, fair, I'm retiring now. Yeah, I'm re- And then just leaving. Yeah, yeah. that's... It just wouldn't make incredible. sense. Incredible. It, it, this whole fucking scenario is absolutely batshit crazy. None of this makes any sense. Um, last little bit. In 1997, he was arrested as a frail old man. His punishment, he was put under house arrest, so he just had to stay in his house. He died from natural causes on April 15th, 1998, but his body was cremated by his followers before it could be inspected, so many believe that he took his own life. Uh, but we don't know. Yeah, we don't know. I, I mean... Based on absolutely nothing, uh, I I would be like, I don't think he would have killed himself. If he was going to have done that, you think he'd have done that way before. Yeah. Uh, yes, I know but he'd been arrested, the... but he's at house arrest. I'm, you know, worst yeah. places you could be. He reached a ripe old age and effectively got away with everything he'd done. Over two million people were killed. That's... In brutal, brutal ways. Like, I don't know how true this is, but, like, infants would have been killed. There's there's reports of, like, infants being thrown at trees to kill them. And when I say infants, I mean, like, babies. Yeah, I, 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 to be fair, I've, like, just, I've just read something that just said that. Smashing the skulls of babies and children against the trunks of trees. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was brutal. It wasn't just... It was brutal genocide. And the thing is, he'll, he'll probably sit there and argue and be like, well, you know, the brutality of it, sure, whatever, but like, that wasn't me. I didn't kill him. You ordered it, bro. Yeah. Again, like you mentioned earlier, though, his entire basis was that the country needs to make rice. What the fuck are you on yeah, about? I know. <laughs> Makes no sense. Like, I'm not an economist, but, like, even I know that's ridiculous. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, this whole... It's a genocide as well that we don't really talk about. No. No, I'm aware of Pol Pot and I knew he was a bad dude, but like I had no idea the sheer fucking numbers. Yeah, it's absolutely crap. And it's happened so recently. Yeah, and in such a short period of time. Mm. Three years to kill that many people. Yeah. I've just looked up the current prime minister's held his position since 1998. Has he really? Yeah, but... I also looked up, do they have a football team? And they do. So I think that that it bodes well for them. <laughs> wow, doesn't North Korea have a football team? And they're not very good. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um, I think if you are in Cambodia, Vietnam, uh, especially Burma, you have to be really careful in that neck of the woods. Yeah. Yeah, no, you forget sometimes that Vietnam technically is... Is it a communist country still? No, it's not, is it? I don't, is I don't it, or think is so. it no, one of those... China, no, China say they're not. Yeah, is but... it like China where it's kind of half, you know, it's it's Tesco value communist? Yeah. Vietnam, a one-party communist state. Oh, mm. maybe it is. Yeah, because they still have like, was it, is it is it Ho Chi Minh City? That's their capital city. It's not Saigon. Yeah. Um, but then this one said Vietnam, in fact, may be one of the most pro-capitalist countries on Earth. Yeah, well... Yeah. I don't China know. has a McDonald's. I don't think anyone knows what China has a McDonald's, and I think that says it all. Yeah. Um, oh, I I I yeah, just quickly been on Cora, and <laughs> oh yeah, here's a legitimate question on Cora: Why does Pol Pot and Elon Musk look so eerily similar? 
They do. <laughs> they do. Oh, <laughs> Do you know who else looks eerily similar? Um, I've just forgotten his bloody name. Who was the... um, I've got it. It's on the tip of my bloody tongue. The uh, Cuban communist leader, the guy who worked with Che Guevara. Oh, uh, Fidel Castro. Fidel Castro. Have you ever noticed, and um, feel free to quickly Google, uh, and, and listeners as well, look at Fidel Castro and Justin Trudeau of Canada. I they are sp- images literally comparing them. They are a spitting image of one another, and there are pictures of Justin Trudeau's mum meeting Fidel Castro oh. like way, way before. Okay, so like there was pictures of Justin Trudeau now against Castro as an old man. And they didn't, but if you look at Castro as a young man, fucking hell! I know, right? They're identical. I know, and yet Justin Trudeau looks nothing like his dad. Hmm. It's Fidel Castro, his dad. <laughs> Yeah, wow. I, I, it's got to be done. Yeah, it's out there. It's mental, isn't it? Oh God, no! This, I, to be honest, that that bit at the end needed a bit of lightheartedness because even for me, that that was heavy. It, it's it's just mad. Like genocide is always always going to be a fucking heavy episode, but I just think it's mental that we don't get taught this. Like, at no point in school did I get taught any of this. Yeah. The, I... It's difficult, isn't it, dude? Because, like, you know, we only get so many years in education and you can't, I suppose, learn the entire world's history. But then, I don't know, maybe we should not do... I don't know, maybe it shouldn't be, like, a, an entire term on the Romans and or, or something. Like, I remember yeah. I did American medicine in GCSE history. I'm like, I don't need to know about this shit. Like, tell me about world events that formed the world I live in. Mm-hmm. I said three years, or three years is what it took to kill two million people of his own people. He Not fought own. for so long to get his country back from the French, and he did it, and then just massacred them anyway. Yeah, that guy's got to be like messed up in the head. But then, like, you go back to the beginning, and his brother has literally been quoted saying he was quite a nice kid. Like, he used to tend to the rice fields, like as he made everyone else do. But then in the evenings, he'd like play in the rivers and have fun. Yeah, it's just, it's this ideology that just gets away from you, isn't it? He got he got indoctrinated into communism and took it way too far. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it was it says is it Batman in it? It's a Batman film. You either die the hero, or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. That's got to be like that's such a thing. That's such a thing, man. People live too long. (laughs) Especially Pol Pot, he should have been killed very early on. Yes, he should have been fucking killed a lot longer. But I, I think this is one of those cases where like. Maybe he was just born evil because there was nothing in his past that was like, oh, that's pretty traumatic. Like, nothing happened. Yeah, no, there really doesn't seem to be, does it? But again, it, like I was saying, he, he could argue that he's like, well, I didn't actually do any of the killing myself or whatever. He can just say he ordered it. Um, but it's one of those, like, you know, out of sight, out of mind. He can put through the the order, but he's probably not the one seeing the deaths and seeing it all and... Do you know what I mean? Like, he's just hiding away in his fancy little palace, probably, just thinking, oh, this is great. Yeah. I don't know, because we think about, like, that we're kings, don't we? You know, like, kings of old, and they might be like, oh, kill them, take their head off. But they're not the one doing it. No, exactly. Um, but you're still the leader of a regime that is smashing the baby, uh, baby's heads off of trees to kill yeah. them. Yeah, for sure. Like that, That's horrendous. That's awful. How does a human being even do that? How do you physically do that? Yeah. Without being inebriated on drugs or anything, you just you just do that because you want to do that. Yeah, that. Well, that's what I'm saying. That was my argument. It's like I, I cannot understand how people could even allow themselves to do that. I exactly. I, I tell you what. When we're finished recording, I'm gonna bloody watch loads of stuff on this now and try and figure out why people did this. So I think there's a film um, called The Killing Fields. I'm not sure if it's very good, but I, I'm I'm tempted to watch it this evening. Yeah. Well, uh, hell. it's a 1984 film, and it, it's it's literally about this. It's 7.8 on IMDb. It's got John Malkovich in it, so probably going to be good. Why is John Malkovich in it? <laughs> what? John Malkovich Let's played read the Pol Pot. A journalist is trapped in Cambodia during Tyrant Pol Pot's bloody Year Zero cleansing campaign, which claimed the lives of two million undesirable civilians. It's not a documentary, it's a legit film. Mm. 
Oh yeah, yeah, it's an, it's an actual film film. Oh. Wow, fuck me. Oh, oh but it's a, it's a biogra- biography. Oh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, man. Jesus. Okay. Is is the, are we, is that is that it? We, don't tell me there's more. No, no, no. Pol Pot dead now. Uh, Cambodia seems to be doing better. Uh, yeah. There you go. We haven't bought out an episode in a while, so have a genocide. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well. Uh, yeah. Do you have any idea who's coming next time? Yeah. So I've decided I'm at, I'm I'm just gonna go for it with Mormons. We're just gonna. Oh, just is gonna, it time? We're gonna start. Yeah. Okay. So fuck. We've been teasing this since Christmas. Teasing oh, it better it, be good. Been teasing it for a while. Yeah. Exactly. Right. It's got to be live up to the bloody hype now. Uh, <laughs> My intention is for it to be a three-part series because it is quite big. Because it's it is not like our conventional episodes. It's not about a person per se. Although the first one is more heavily on Joseph Smith, the founder. Um, but we were asked to do specifically Mormonism, so it's quite it's a lot bigger than just the one guy. Uh, so my intention is for it to be a three-part episode and episode one is finished episode two is nearly finished um but it is taking a lot longer than i anticipated so i thought to kick myself up the arse why don't we just crack on with it and then i'll have to finish it <laughs> yeah very good yeah force yourself to do it if, you, if we need to do little episodes in between i can write something that's not a problem exactly so yeah that's that's uh that's the plan we're gonna we're gonna start mormons part one it is joseph time. smith it's happening look forward to that then yeah man well I'm not going to ask if you enjoyed the episode because obviously, yeah, it's not very nice. Um, but uh, I hope you enjoyed the fact that we're back. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you for joining us again. If you were like, I haven't had a notification from these guys in a while. Um, mm. Thank you very much for sticking with us. As always, you guys have been the best. Um, obviously, James and I's schedule has always been a wee bit mental. Uh, and yet... Mm every episode it's just full support from every one of you listeners so thank you thank you thank you very much um for always showing us the love uh and yeah join us next week we're going to be talking about we're going to go for it we're going to do the mormons we're getting there um so yeah look forward to that and we'll see you soon Ta-ra.